Okay, so I'd like to welcome to the show today, first of all, making a return appearance, my brother from another, host of Colin All Beans, pilot, US Air Force veteran, and yoga extraordinaire, not to mention MotoGP enthusiast, Woo! DJ. Yeah! <laughs> I am happy to be back, Franklin. When he when he said, asked me if I want to be on here, before he could finish the question, I was like, yep, I'll be on. <laughs> so here he is he's back and uh, i'd also like to welcome making a debut appearance here on the show ufo twitter contributor and uh, lawyer lampy how are you today lampy hello i am good it's great to be here how are you guys doing very very well thank you very much it's been a it's been a hectic time recently with all the various events going on but just about keeping my head above water <laughs> so so a lot of what we'll be talking about uh, today sort of relates to those recent events, really, and the, particularly the the recent UFO hearings where, for the first time in over 50 years, there's actually been open congressional hearings on the UFO or UAP issue. So being from the UK, I'm sort of not very familiar with the American political system, but been trying to learn as much as I can about it to better understand how things are progressing with the UFO topic over there. So I thought today would be an interesting opportunity to ask someone more clued up than myself and try to better understand some of that bigger picture. So before we get into some details on some sort of like key points and things, Lampy, would you mind giving us a little bit of a brief background on your good self, please? Yeah, sure. So I have been an attorney for about five years now. Um, I've dabbled in a few different practice areas, most of which like are adjacent at best to this topic. But I have been looking into the subject of UFO immunity slash amnesty more recently and um, sort of trying to apply my legal research skills to that in order to help explain this to the community a little bit more. So I'm hoping that I can offer some insight and I will let you know if something's just completely too far out of my wheelhouse. No problem at all. And and yeah, you, you definitely don't need to be like an absolute oracle of, of information or anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I'm sure you can definitely shed some light on some of these areas um, of law and things that relate to the UFO topic. But as you say, if there's anything you're not familiar with, that's absolutely fine. Just say so. It's no bother at all. So is there any thoughts that either of you guys want to add about the hearings in general before we get into some of the specifics? Well, for me, overall, it was a net positive. I mean, there's no other way to, to look at it and think that it wasn't a net positive. Because as you stated on your show, I, actually, your episode today, I listened to with Ash and what's the other gentleman's name? Greg. And Greg, uh, great, great episode, which it, yours all tend to be great episodes. Um, Thank you. That... Uh, uh, it's been 50 years. You know, it's been since 1968, since the last hearings. So we had hearings, the topics out there. And while it was an absolute bold-faced lie when they asked Moultrie whether or not he was aware of the Maelstrom incident, which is stupid and it's sort of, it, you know, as Lampy will get into it, chips away at their credibility when, when you say things like that uh, and you try to couch it and sort of get in a little bit of a sliver there of, well, I mean... I guess I've heard of it, but not a fit. Con, don't be stupid. It happened at, at, at an, everything that happens at any nuclear site. I mean, that becomes historical record of note. I mean, so, so yes. But overall, we have to look at that and, and say, you know what? We're, we're discussing the subject. Were you to be able to say the same that we're happening in Parliament right now? I mean, the UK would be ablaze with enthusiasm right now over that. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. As you say, the, there's, there's some positives, some sort of negative things perhaps as well. But overall, I think, as you say, it's a great step forward, isn't it? How about yourself, Lampy? Have you got any general thoughts on the hearings and, and the recent events? Yeah, um, I pretty much agree with what DJ said. Um, I know that the response on UFO Twitter was quite mixed. Um, like there's some people who are not ever going to be happy unless somebody says on the record, like, I, I know the aliens, they have the office next door to mine. But I, but really, like, I think that anytime this topic gets discussed in 
gets gets discussed seriously by our elected officials, it's it's interesting and it's useful. And I think that it is significant, even if we didn't necessarily get much more information out of it that we didn't already have. Can, can I ask both of you a question? If if we were to take if we were in a football stadium right now and we were you know, you have one end zone and then a hundred, you know, every 10 yards, you have a 10 yard line till you get to the other end zone. Did we move the, clearly we move the ball forward towards the other end zone. What yard line would you say we're on? That's American football terminology, man. Um, but it's a hundred <laughs> yards. So you, you know, you have a gradient of a hundred, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, I'd say we're a significant yardage further forward than we were a few weeks ago. How about that? But what yard line are we on? If if the other end zone is full disclosure, what yard line are we on? Okay, so we're on. We started off at zero, mm-hmm. and the other side is a hundred. Hundred. Yep. Hundred percent disclosure. Let let let's go thirty. That's what I would say. Thirty is better than nothing, but we've still a long way to go. You know, mm-hmm. but we we definitely haven't not moved anywhere. We've we've made some progressions, I think, towards getting to the bottom of what's really going on with this, and 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 mm-hmm. the U.S. government being more transparent. I'd, I'd I'd go so far as to say thirty. How about you, Lampy? Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Twenty thirty. I yeah. I agree with you guys. We did, <laughs> we did it. We reached a consensus. We did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> that's it. We can wrap it up. Go home, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously. So there's been um, some talk about this uh, particular subcommittee then since the, the hearings took place. Um, mm-hmm. What I've been kind of wondering is how are these congressional committees actually formed? Like, And, and, and what actually is a, a subcommittee? Okay. So, um, the, so there are different... It depends on the type of committee and subcommittee you're dealing with. So, um, the subcommittee that did the um, that did the recent hearings was uh, the C3 subcommittee, um, subcommittee on counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and uh, counterproliferation. Um, and that one is um, a a standing subcommittee, which means like the it's it's in the um, the House rules that that committee is always there. Um, whereas there are also um, special or select committees that are made whenever co- either the House or the Senate wants to investigate something specific and it doesn't necessarily fall under the purview of an existing committee or subcommittee, then they might form like a committee that is only, they, the House or the Senate can do a resolution to make this committee, which will exist only for as long as it takes to do this investigation. So the resolution will specify what the committee is supposed to be investigating, um, how um, the members are going to be chosen, um, how they'll know when its job is done, and all, all that other fun stuff. And that committee will disband whenever its function has been served. So um, probably um, for this topic, we would just continue to use the existing standing committees, because, um, of course, they have they have a C3 subcommittee, they have a subcommittee on space and science, they have lots of different committees that this that encompass this topic already, so they probably wouldn't need to do a select committee or make any new committees for it. Mm. So that, that already existing uh, committee is kind of like basically expressed an interest to want to find out more about this and then they've gone ahead and and sort of like requested these these hearings kind of thing is it is it the committee themselves that actually requests the hearing or is it sort of like requested through somebody else um normally it would be the committee itself that requests it um i i believe that the the chamber as a whole could also ask the subcommittee to do an investigation. Um, I don't know the specific, um, how specifically these hearings came to be, um, but normally, yeah, a committee can do their own and start their own investigation. One of the beauties of this, Frank, is that it seems to be something of an apolitical process. What Lampy and I are used to is when the um, majority in the in the House changes, all of a sudden, all your committee chairs are now that party. They can set the agenda. They can decide what we're going to investigate, what we're not. 
And then if they do decide to to investigate something, you'll hear the minority say, hey, we need to narrow the scope on this. I mean, this is this is a committee run wild. So so a lot of times this is a very it, it can be a very, very political process, particularly when they start to issue subpoenas. And 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 thankfully for us in this particular instance, it's not political at all. It's actually bipartisan, which, uh, you know, you saw one person that was trying to throw in all the taglines, you know, one knucklehead up there uh, for their political party. But but generally speaking, it's it's been a political so far or bipartisan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I sure the- hope it's sorry, sorry go ahead, Lumpy. I was just going to say, I sure hope it stays that way, because partly because like, you know, for the good of humanity and such, but also because UFO Twitter would be absolutely insufferable if this topic was politicized. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's something that's been quite reassuring to see, really, I suppose. Like, there's so much division, isn't there, in, I suppose, in, in all across the world, but like in the States, we, we hear, in the UK, we hear about the, the various political divisions over there, and we have our own things like that. And to actually see the UFO topic being sort of, you know, pushed by people on all different sides of the political spectrum. It's quite reassuring in a way that there are some things that we can all come together on and try and figure out, you know. It's not that we have to be at each other's throats all the time, is it, you know. So mm-hmm. kind of nice to see. So how how do um, how do committees and subcommittees actually request to bring in people for hearings? Do they get to actually – and this is something that I've been trying to find out. Um, do they actually get to choose who is brought in? Or did they make a request, for example, like to the DOD for witnesses to come forward and then the DOD gets to choose who is actually put there? How, how does that all work? Do, do you know? So um, co- um, co- um, Congress does have the ability to subpoena people. Like they can bring in whoever they want and they can make you show up and they can make you turn over documents. So they have a significant degree of power, both in what they can investigate, they can investigate basically anything that they can say relates to their legislative power. So anything they might want to make a law about or anything that involves oversight of a federal agency, then Congress can investigate that. And um, anyone who has information can be called to testify and any documents that exist that can be subpoenaed and brought in for the investigation. So it's in that sense, in that one specific sense, it's very similar to a court case. Like if you're called to testify, you have to go. Mm. So is, is there any like limitations on, on, on who can be brought in? Like, is there a, like you say, there's a legal requirement, isn't there for people to actually attend if, if they're requested, but does that apply to like private citizens and things as well? Or, uh, only employees of the government or people from the military it can literally be anybody. It applies to anybody. Like um, if you think that there might be times that you could challenge a subpoena, like for example, if I'm called to testify to a UFO hearing and I am like, look, dude, I am just a rando on Twitter. I have no information. This is stupid. I could go to the, I could go to the district court and ask the judge to issue an injunction saying I don't have to go and testify, but I can't just ignore the summons. Like it, I, I will be in contempt if I do that. And that did happen during the, the, the Trump administration. They, uh, they, uh, they subpoenaed his lawyer, his personal lawyer, they subpoenaed uh, members of his staff. He claimed executive privilege. And, and as uh, Lampy just said, that went to, uh, I believe she said it went to a uh, district court. And they, in some cases, they didn't, they didn't testify or didn't produce documents or whatever. So there are, mm-hmm. ch- there are legal challenges that you can make to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, I do remember hearing about that actually at the time, but again, mm-hmm. not knowing exactly the ins and outs, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other really. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that's as it should, by the way, as it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's a question for you guys then. If, if you could have any one person actually brought in, to have questions asked to them by a, a congressional committee, who would we go for? Well, from my perspective, that's the problem is we don't know that person's name. Mm-hmm. Um, people are going to say Lou Elizondo, but Lou Elizondo, uh, when he was on our show, we asked him about whether or not uh, people came into his office 
opened physical portfolio folders, showed him things that were not in his portfolio, closed those and walked out. And he said, yes. And so I know he knows information that he was not um, formally read into, but I would want to ask those persons who are managing portfolios that would include something like a downed uh, craft from other intelligences and biological remains of those of of those craft, et cetera. Those are the persons that I would most want to come before there. And then after that, it would be somebody like Lou. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I feel like I don't really know enough to be able to name like one specific person I would like to testify. I am very much just along for the ride with this sort of thing. Fair enough. I think for me, it'd be, uh, I'd have to say Eric Davis, to be honest. I think he's the, the key to unlocking various, uh, you know, progressions that could, could move the, the ball forward. I think um, a lot of people have talked about, you know, the, the Wilson Davis notes and all the rest of it. Um, and I think um, if you could get Eric Davis in there to give his side of the story, because obviously he basically refuses to comment on it, doesn't he? Um, but if you could get him in there, that could be, a kind of a key to unlocking the door about finding a bit more about, like you say, DJ, the uh, the sort of potential um, alleged crash retrieval programs and reverse engineering programs and things. That's that's what I really want to get get my hands on some of that information. That's the whole burrito right there, baby. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we could talk about what they've seen. You know, these videos that they've captured off the coast or even that the air force hasn't divulged or the navy you know has as classified etc there's probably the 23 minute video okay that would be great but what we all want to see is what they've discovered from 1947 when lampy was uh, officially <laughs> became lampy uh as part of our, our twitter handle until now we we want to know what what they've recovered and there are portfolios out there somewhere there is a construct that looks like MJ-12, even if it's called MJ-27 or CJ-34, whatever the hell it's called, there is some construct there by where they have kept the SecDef, uh, the Joint Staff, POTUS from uh, being briefed on that information. Now, Lou made a he made a pretty good, you know, he's He's been asked about this before, but he told us maybe it's under Title 50. Maybe it's that's why they don't know, because it's it's under Title 50 civilian CIA, not under Title 10 DOD. But what I would have said back to him were I in the mood to take over the discussion and not let the other four. You know, I mean, I got four people that need to need to get fed on these. It's not just me. I would have said that's immaterial. Uh, and this goes to kind of Lampy's legal training. If it affects national security, whether or not that program is Title 50, they have a need to know. Is there any dispute about that on this panel right here? Mm. Nope. If there's something flying around or something that's crashed or, you know, that had some sort of a uh, an extreme scientific technological advantage over us, whether that program were under Title 50, they have a need to know. The SecDef needs to know that. The Joint Staff needs to know that. The President needs to know that. And somehow, there's a construct that they figured out that they were able to keep them from knowing. Mm. My, my sh- for those of you who can't see, my, my shoulders are going up near my ears and my hands are going <laughs> up saying, I don't know. It's an exaggerated shrug, I would yeah, say. Thank you. Thank you. An exa- but, see, that's, you see what he learned go. in uni over there? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really go to uni, though, to be fair. It was the school of life that taught me these phrases. The school of hard knocks, mate. Exactly. But, the oh, yeah, Lampy, Lampy doesn't even know, man. This guy was like a legit rock drummer playing in front of tons of people, and he teaches music to this day. It's true. What? It's true. Awesome. I've played a few drums. I've played a few drums over the years, has to be said. That's why I'm wearing this shirt because the skull is for heavy metal Frank and the flowers are for Lampy. So Aww. there we go. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm wearing my Black Sabbath t-shirt, as you can see. Yeah! Woo! 
Can you do the Ozzy? Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I am wearing. I am wearing just a cotton T-shirt that I grabbed out of a drawer because I have not been fashionable since March 2020. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's all right. You got like the uh, the alien eye glasses on. That that makes up for everything anyway. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that what I was going to ask you a, a second ago is, I mean, this is kind of theoretical. This is not necessarily something that's like. Um, you know, you can easily define sort of thing within the framework of, of law. But if these alleged programs actually did exist, even if you brought somebody in for a congressional hearing who had knowledge of those programs, surely in the setting up of that program with how deeply buried they are and, and how secret they are, mm-hmm. couldn't they just build in some kind of thing where they're allowed to just deny all knowledge of it, even when they're in a congressional hearing or something like that. Do you think maybe they would do that, or is that like totally a no-no? Or well, n- yeah, no, that would. I mean, they could. Obviously, anyone can lie, but it would not be legal for them to do so. Like they would still be committing perjury. Um, because the thing is, like, Congress is a like is. Um, a co-equal branch of government with the executive branch so like they have as much right to investigate things that are matters of state secret secrecy as the executive branch does so like for the for an agency to just be like oh well we're gonna lie to congress because screw you we do what we want that would not be that that would not be legal that would not be allowed um Probably, like that isn't to say that there wouldn't be any sort of provisions done if someone were to testify about something very classified. Like probably um, that would be done in closed session. Like we saw a lot with the most recent hearings. Everything interesting, they would be like, "Well, we'll answer that in the closed session," and everyone on Twitter would be very angry. And so, so there, Congress does have procedures for protecting state secrets and that is what would be used to protect that information. The agents would not be allowed to lie to Congress. Mm. And it should be noted, they do have a skiff in the building too, though. So so they could get a briefing down there that would be illuminating even to the members of the committee. Mm. Yeah, because I've kind of wondered, like, let's say Eric Davis, you know, goes to, gets requested to attend one of these congressional hearings. He goes up. Somebody like Gallagher with his, you know, straight shooting questions just says, look, have you been a part of or seen anything to do with a crash retrieval program of extraterrestrial vehicles? He's probably not just going to say, yeah, you know, spill the beans. So I would imagine what he would probably say is, oh, well, I can't talk about that now. We'll talk about in the in the, in the the closed session or something like that. Mm-hmm. That would probably be the case, wouldn't it, with anything extremely sensitive. So even if you got mm-hmm. somebody like that, into a hearing you're probably not necessarily mm-hmm. going to hear in the open part of it any big secrets being spilled is, is that probably fair to say yeah that's fair to say and also um probably um there would be discussions even before the hearings happened about what sort of testimony would likely involve state secrets and the committee members might not even ask those questions until the closed session just because they already know it's not going to be answered but for show, they might <laughs> they'll ask it in open session just to show. I'm thinking about you guys, but I, I, I think it should be noted, Frank, there's some intrinsic value there that even if I don't get to hear it and you and Lampy also, you know, if we don't get to hear it, but those congressmen are illuminated and are informed about those programs, there's a lot of value there because uh, that will that leads that opens the door. Mm. in my opinion yeah definitely and i think it's one of them we have to be realistic as well that we're talking about i mean all of this stuff is kind of alleged things that that supposedly exist and what have you there's no like you know clear evidence of that in the public uh, sphere at this point but it's some very sensitive you know technology and and some things that could Mm. be very dangerous if they got out into the into the into the wider world kind of thing you don't know who's going to get their hands on it so I am kind of realistic. I want to know everything, but I accept that there's some bits that perhaps 
the public shouldn't know, you know, and, and like you say, DJ, maybe the, the best place to reveal some of them secrets is perhaps in the closed, uh, in the closed sec- section of the hearing. Well, better there than not at all. That's my, my point is obviously I wish we all, we all knew and they would just say, yes, we did recover stuff. Yes. It was 50 years ago. Yes. We lied about it. And yes, we're studying it and trying to back engineer it. Case closed. That would be great. But in the absence of that, you, everything has to be contextualized. Things Life is not black and white. It's gray. The phenomenon's gray. What we need to know, us, is gray. Everything's gray. So for people to you know, lose either good or he's bad, you know, people, at, they, they get into this, this, this uh, they dig into these foxholes on either end that's so stupid. Just take a set of facts. Look at it, and like you just said, you said I can reasonably expect or I can accept, and that's that's where we have to be. We're only going to be on the planet for a short period of time. People hold secrets for a long time, man. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing I was quite surprised by actually was um, how, how much the people in that uh, congressional subcommittee were interested in the wider aspects of, of everything to do with the UFO topic, because I kind of got the impression that before that hearing, that it was going to be mostly about the current efforts and where they're up to with the AOIMSG and, you know, 2004 onwards. But we did hear quite a few questions about older things, like, you know, really significant events that have happened in the past. Were you guys surprised by that? Or did you expect there to be questions like that? Um, I wasn't necessarily surprised just because since this is the first hearing we've had since the 1960s, like that's like there, the old stuff is really all there is to call upon when we're talking about historical context. And also just since even though, even though a lot of us try to be like, Oh, UAPs, like we're just talking about the new stuff and we're very professional and scientific that the, the thing in the back of everyone's mind is like all the old UFO stories from back in the day. So it makes sense to me that elected officials who represent average curious members of the public would go back to some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and Frank, I mean, you have to be looking at, it's been since Led Zeppelin one since good times, bad, <laughs> bad times yeah. since we've had UFO hearings, right? Since Led Zeppelin one, when everyone's like, man, look at Bonzo, mate. So they got three drums and he haven't got a double bass. But anyway, so, uh, but anyway, um, and, and like Lampy said, they're curious people, uh, just like we are. People, you know, want to say that, oh, well, they're going to just, uh, you know, ask this narrow thing. They want to know just like we do a lot of them. And it's politically expedient and acceptable at the moment, uh, to speak about the topic. That's what that UFO symposium going on in Utah tells you. And the other ones, I think Lou's going to be in one in Roswell or something. Um, that tells you that the metrics that all their staffers, right, Lampy, are looking at and seeing how many hits on UFO Twitter, how much conversation is going on, tells them, you know what, I can, I, my curiosity can come out verbally during these hearings. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that it's, you know, there's a there's a lot of genuine curiosity from the public all over the world about this topic, you know, and, and certain, you know, debunkers would perhaps have you believe that that's not the case, but it's pretty much undeniable at this point, isn't it? I mean, like, I was only listening to um, uh, Brandon Fugel talking on uh, Andy, uh, that UFO podcast uh, earlier today, and he was saying, I think it's uh, Skinwalker Ranches, I forget if he said it was number one or number two, but it's like one of the biggest shows on the History Channel. People care about this stuff, you know, it's not some kind of thing that nobody's really bothered about, it's 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 a big thing, the public want to know about it, and these, these people in, in Congress are asking the questions on behalf of the public, great, this is what we want, isn't it? Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on from that, um, what I was going to ask you earlier on was um, the the people actually brought in then, are they are they given the, the questions in advance? I think you touched on this briefly earlier, Lampy. Do they know exactly what they're going to get asked or do they get a rundown of the topics involved and things like that or, uh, or are the questions completely, you know, blind? Um, I don't think there's any obligation to tell them exactly what the questions are going to be, but I honestly don't know how it usually goes in practice. 
Um, I think that probably most people would have an idea of what's going to be asked based on the nature of the hearings and based on the nature of their own job. But as far as procedures, your guess is as good as mine. Mm. And another thing I was going to ask as well uh, is, you know, like in in that hearing, there was basically a bit where um, Bray and, and Moultrie kind of gave their own statement at the beginning before they actually started to answer questions. Is that typical of congressional hearings as well? Yeah, it's it's pretty typical for people to give a statement, um, especially if they want if they actually want to testify and aren't being dragged in by their hair. Right. You want to shape opinion straight away. I mean, you want to set the table for what type of a person you are and how forthcoming you might be. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So another thing that's been that's been talked about quite a lot recently is um, amnesty and immunity and uh, mm-hmm. Dr. G- Gary Nolan was even saying that he's spoken to people behind the scenes who were, who were working on an amnesty or immunity legislation to be sort of put in place in the near future so mm-hmm. is is there actually a legal difference between amnesty and immunity and how likely is it that we'll actually see that happen with this topic so um the answer there is sort of amnesty is not really a legal term of art. So it's used in a lot of different contexts. Sometimes it's used interchangeably with immunity when people are talking about it. Um, sometimes it's used when part the issue of pardons comes up. Um, but it's it's not a term that's in the Constitution. It's not a term that um, has a very strict legal definition. But usually when someone talks about amnesty, they're going to be talking about um, a group of people as opposed to an individual who are being um, granted, um, who are basically told that they're not going to be prosecuted for certain conduct that has taken place in the past. So it's retroactive. So you can't give amnesty for something that someone's going to do. um, And it's, it's not, and it's not something that, and there are limits on, giving it to an individual for vaguely defined conduct. So for example, uh, the president couldn't say, um, I grant amnesty to my loyal enforcer, Agent Jerkwad, for everything illegal he has ever done on my behalf. Um, but you could, but um, the president could, by executive order, grant amnesty to, um, say, everyone who He's a real example, everyone who uh, dodged the draft in Vietnam. So that's a group of people. It's um, for a specific uh, kind of conduct. And um, and that's within the president's authority to grant that sort of amnesty. Uh, immunity um, is use immunity and transactional immunity are legal terms of art. Um, transactional immunity would be like, for example, in a state court, if a state prosecutor said, we're going to grant you immunity from being charged with, say, theft if you will help us get the guy you work for for murder. Um, And that's something that isn't like transactional immunity, as far as I know, isn't a thing in federal when it comes to federal prosecution. In federal prosecution, they only do use immunity, which is basically we want you to testify um, about something and in exchange and to get your testimony, we are going to say that that testimony cannot be used either directly against you as evidence or it can't be used to go looking for evidence that to accuse you of a crime. So if you granted me use immunity and in order to testify about something that happened last week and I went on the stand and said, oh, last week I went to Atlanta and committed a murder, you couldn't direct, you couldn't use that evidence against me in court by saying, well, Lampy said that she committed a murder and you couldn't use that testimony to start an investigation and say, go send, go send cops to Atlanta and see what Lampy was doing there because you only knew I was there because of the testimony I had testimony. that was protected by immunity. Um, so uh, that's, I sort of got into the weeds there away from your original question, but basically, basically amnesty and immunity are terms that 
it's not a big deal to use them interchangeably when we're just talking about the broad concept of not punishing people who did stuff related to covering things up. But when it comes to the specific mechanics of how it would work, then you're going to use amnesty if you want either legislation passed or an executive order that's going to grant broad um, freedom from prosecution to a group. And you're going to use immunity if you're talking about an individual that you want to provide testimony um, and free them specifically from having that testimony used against them. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I get it. It's a complicated one, but um, <laughs> is 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 there a bit of a, a, an element of it where uh, immunity is is kind of something that's gonna gonna happen in the future, whereas amnesty is to do with things that have happened in the past? Or have I got that uh, twisted? <laughs> well, n- not both of them apply to um, retroactive behavior because okay. um, for. So immunity would be um, related to you can't be you can't have your testimony used against you. Um, you're going to be testifying against you're going to be testifying about things you did in the past. Um, immunity wouldn't say that like if you go on the stand and say yeah I'm going to go com- I'm going right. to go commit a murder <laughs> next week then like the cops can still go and try to stop me from committing that murder. It's not gonna like so yeah both of them apply to past conduct. <laughs> And right. Frank, Frank, I want I want to just give you my opinion on this when because Lou throws this one out there, and um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Lou does not speak without thinking about what he's saying and why he's saying it. I think a lot of things that he says have a very specific reason uh, that he says them, and uh, which is great. And by the way, he was very candid on our show, and we really, we really appreciate that. We had a great time, but I think. What he's trying to do, and you guys can check me on this of what I'm about to say. I think that what he's doing is a little bit of what you and I talked about, Frank, seeding the field. He's trying to get other people within the government structure anywhere. That could be a police helicopter pilot. It could be these Homeland Security folks. It could uh, be anyone to feel free to come out and talk about uh, what they know without fear of retribution or legal exposure. And so I think that's what he's doing. I think he's also saying that if you were part and parcel or party to an action that caused someone damage, now that could be legal damage the way that um, Lampy would, would, would think of it. Maybe they lost their job. Uh, Maybe they ended up having to go get psych evals that affected their employment. Uh, maybe they were physically or emotionally intimidated away from speaking. I believe that Lou is speaking to those people and saying, come out and speak Gen- broadly and generally. I think that's what he's doing. What's going to happen to them is what or what whether or not they're exposed. Lampy's going to talk to you about that. But that's what I think he's doing when he says that. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. I think it's just a case of there's so much kind of potential implications from people who've been involved in keeping the secrets. Whatever, Again, whatever those secrets may be, the extent of it is debatable and things like that. But it's it's pretty much certain at this point that there's a lot of people who are implicated in doing things that perhaps they shouldn't have done to maintain that secrecy and everything like that and and the only way to be able to actually get transparency if, if you know with the public for everybody to be open about what's happened over the last you know 70 years and you know maybe even before that who knows is for people not to be worried about you know, having their life completely ruined by admitting to things that they're going to be, you know, basically prosecuted for or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I kind of think that the the immunity or amnesty or whatever it, you know, gets referred to as is kind of inevitable, really, if, if we want to have transparency and, and some kind of disclosure. I suppose what I think of with it is like, I've heard mentioned recently about a time uh, window of amnesty so like you have a year to basically come out with whatever you want to come out with and then after that cut off point then you will be prosecuted what do you guys think of that do you think that's a good idea do you think that's likely to happen do you think it's a terrible idea 
I, I just want to say one thing because Lamp, this is Lampy's area of expertise, and she's about to take over this conversation. I don't think this the legal standard, either civilly or criminally, so the preponderance of, an, of, of the evidence in a civil case or uh, beyond reasonable doubt, right, in a, in a criminal case, I don't think you are going to find many cases that are going to meet that standard. And I don't think that's going to, I don't think p- these people are exposed anywhere near what I hear analysts speak about that they think Rick Doty and all these other people are, are, are legally exposed. I don't believe that, but I'm a lay person. So let's hear from an expert. Yeah, like um, I'm not aware of any time that amnes that a broad grant of amnesty with nothing asked for in return except coming forward has been granted. Most times that amnesty has been granted for something, it's been part of like trying to move on after some event. So, for example, like after the Civil War or after the Vietnam War, when a bunch of people like skip the draft or like. Um, or like granting amnesty to like people who came into the country undocumented, like examples of like, there's just sort of this, this clusterfuck of people we need to deal with and prosecuting would just make it impossible for society to continue. So we're just going to try and have a clean slate. It's not something that I think in the U S has ever been done as an, investigative tool because it would be so there are so many other ways to do that like to to look for documents to sort of find people who might have information bring them in grant them in individually immunity so and then compel them to testify and then from that testimony go find more people and so on and so forth so there are ways to do investigations that don't involve a grant of amnesty and that it would be such it's it would be such a big way to deal with the problem of doing an investigation that I don't think that's the way it would be handled. Uh, Lampy, more broadly, from thirty thousand foot view, do you believe that some of these people, like we mentioned, are legally exposed either in a civil or a criminal case? And I'm talking about okay. government officials, et cetera. Okay. So, um, cri- so like criminal, I honestly have no idea. We would have to see, we would have to have more information to see like what exactly has been done, who's involved. Um, civilly, I think that it would be very hard for people to bring cases. Like uh, you, like you asked me early, you asked me earlier like, before we were on the show about, for example, people who were, potentially victims of disinformation campaigns, if they could sue. And the answer is almost certainly not because, um, so the default rule is that you can't sue the federal government or agents acting on behalf of the federal government. And there are exceptions to that. Um, For example, the Federal Tort Claims Act um, allows you to, uh, allows, it, it basically waives sovereign immunity in certain cases so that you can sue the federal government for certain torts. And then um, if your constitutional rights are violated, then you can bring a Bivens lawsuit. Um, But neither of those, the Federal Tort Claims Act does not apply to defamation, slander, libel, and those things also aren't constitutional violations. So if that's what was done to you, you basically have, you don't really have civil recourse. You could uh, complain and try to get an apology, but you're not, you're most likely not going to prevail in court. Um, if you had someone who did have their constitutional rights violated, like if you're saying that um, the men in black came to my house, um, stole my papers, uh, beat me up, etc., then you might be able to sue, but you would have a, it would be an uphill battle. Um, it has gotten harder and harder to prevail on um, Bivens lawsuits over the decades. And so the answer is potentially somebody could sue, but not a lot of people and they would not have a lot of success. I don't think. Mm. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because it's kind of a lot more complicated than, than I'd kind of thought, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm going to march Rick Doty out in handcuffs. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no, what are you talking about? You, you, the Benowitz family 
25 years ago could have filed a civil suit against him if they thought they had a cause of action and that they could get damages, and they didn't. So what makes you think that someone in the government is going to go back and retroactively um, prosecute Rick Doty for that? And by the way, who's your plaintiff? Mm. Who's yeah, your plaintiff? You have nothing. Yeah, like that. that is another thing. Um, like you, in order to sue anyone you have to have standing so if so if you're just an average person who is outraged about the fact that the government lied to us or that such and such happened and i as a tax-paying citizen are mad then like that's not enough to give you standing the supreme court has held that just a random member of the public being angry about how the government has used funds or has injured the public at large does, is not sufficient to give you standing. That's why when you see, for example, laws challenged in the Supreme Court, it's always somebody who was convicted of breaking a law that they're saying is unconstitutional and never just a random member of the public who thinks that the law is unjust because the second person would not have standing, the first person does because they have specifically been injured in a way that the public at large has not. Mm. And I want to say something else, Frank. As a member of the Air Force family, I abhor and hate being lied to as much as any person on UFO Twitter. You name any individual who's pissed off that they've been lied to, I am equally pissed off. Mm. But that doesn't change the facts of the matter that it's been again it's been able to compartmentalize what happened why and be angry at, at what you should be angry at and understand what you should extend don't take it out and go oh i don't like lou because they lied to us since 47 like what? that has nothing to do with it mm. you wouldn't have hearings right now if it wasn't for him and his <laughs> and his crew yeah I, I know what you mean there's a lot of nuance to it at the end of the yes. day but yes. i mean Aside from the kind of thing of like, you know, uh, members of the public being annoyed at the secrecy and, and people who, you know, may have a case to uh, victims of disinformation, things like you mentioned. What about a specific case like, for example, going back to the Wilson Davis notes? So there's a lot been a lot of discussion about the fact that uh, Admiral Wilson met Eric Davis in an unclassified setting, i.e., you know, a car in a car park and discussed things that he shouldn't have been committing. So do you think that is a case where an amnesty or immunity thing would be, you know, potentially a good option because he wouldn't, he'd be able to talk more openly openly about that and not have to fear the the prosecution for the fact that he went into a car, discussed classified mm -hmm. information, which he shouldn't have discussed. Yeah, so I think that is the sort of case that we would use immunity because we know who's involved. We have an idea of what questions would need to be asked. So what would what would most likely happen is that Congress would subpoena him, call him in to testify. He would have to show up. He but he could say, "I invoke my Fifth Amendment right to um, not incriminate myself," because uh, like. In, under the U.S. Constitution, the Fifth Amendment grants you the right to not um, not give testimony that could be used against you in a criminal prosecution. And the Supreme Court has held that even though congressional hearings are not criminal proceedings, use that your Fifth Amendment rights still apply. So, if I go into Congress and they say, uh, "Hey, Lampy, is it true that you were in Atlanta on the day this murder was committed?" I could say. <laughs> I plead the fifth. I invoke my fifth amendment right not to testify. But if you, um, if you, if the witness is granted Im immunity for their testimony, then courts have, the Supreme court has held that you no longer can invoke the fifth amendment because if that testimony cannot be used against you, then it's not, it's, you're not incriminating yourself because like, Theoretically, that testimony given is as useless as if you didn't testify at all because it can't be used in a criminal proceeding against you later. So what would happen probably is witness would invoke the fifth. Congress would Congress would be able to either a two-thirds majority of the committee doing the hearings or a simple majority of the entire chamber, whether it's the Senate or the House, um, could 
vote to grant that witness immunity for their testimony. And if that vote passed, they would then go to the district court and ask the judge to issue an order compelling the witness to testify because they have been granted immunity and it is no longer a violation of their Fifth Amendment rights for them to be compelled to testify. The judge would grant that order, assuming that the all the procedures were done as they're supposed to be, and then the witness would have to testify about what he did in that car, what he said, um, who else he talked to, and that is, and that's basically how immunity would be used to get testimony in that case. Let me say one thing though, Lampy. What I envision though is, um, I don't know if Admiral Wilson still has a copy of his NDA, whatever program that he was read into that he signed onto and he signed off of when he was read out of the program upon uh, leaving the service, which mm -hmm. I did when I left service, et cetera. And everybody does if you're read into any kind of a mm -hmm. uh, uh, SCI program. Mm -hmm. If if he, I, I'm thinking his attorney is going to negotiate the terms of that, of, of that before he even goes and sits down. So he doesn't have to mm -hmm. invoke the fifth. I, I assume mm -hmm. that he's going to do that because otherwise we know it's going to be a fifth amendment fest the whole way through. Mm -hmm. It's going to look like Michael Corleone in the Godfather. <laughs> so uh, the thing about NDAs, I will say is that an NDA does not um, mean, does not prevent you from testifying in a, in a proceeding because um, an NDA is basically just a contract and you can't contract your way around the law and you are legally obligated to testify if you are subpoenaed. So um, what could happen is either the other party to the NDA would um, ask for an injunction saying that the person who's bound by the NDA does not have to testify and the court could grant that or not, or um, they could go to Congress and just ask politely, say, hey, there's information that we don't really want to be public. Can we please discuss this in the closed session? And that is how you would deal with an NDA. But an NDA by itself, you wouldn't be able to say, I'm not going to testify because I signed an NDA. They would be like, uh, well, well, we'll hold you in contempt if you don't testify. So take your S NDA and shove it. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, re I'll rephrase. There are, when you're, when you're read into a program and you're read out of the program, it's the same. It's basically the same piece of paper, but they just change the wording around that you're mm -hmm. that you're reading out. And there are prosecutable terms outlined in there if you discuss this information. And I don't remember mm -hmm. what they are because it was eleven years ago. But mm -hmm. the point is, is what he's going to say is that that bit right there that's prosecutable that he be immune from from. Um, help me out here. He's immune from prosecution under those terms to go in there and discuss it because they're in all of these mm. uh, SCI programs. They're they're mm. going to talk about what the what's prosecutable uh, if you discuss it and for how many years mm. and blah blah blah. I don't remember it all, but mm. that's what I think is going to be negotiated so that that he could speak mm. in closed session or whatever. Yeah. Well, so most in like. I'd have to see specific NDAs in front of me, but most right. NDAs will specifically say like that you you're about you're barred from from talking about these things except right. when legally compelled to, which you are if you oh. are subpoenaed. Um, and, but even if there isn't that provision in the NDA, then the court is courts are not going to uphold an NDA when it, if they sue you because you testified in response to a subpoena because the because like again and an nda is a contract and you cannot contract your way around legal obligations so for example like if you like if if you have an illegal drug and someone signs a contract with you to buy it then like you still broke the law because a contract isn't a way isn't a way to get around legal obligations but so if you testified in Congress and the other party to the NDA tried to sue you, then you they would not succeed because you had you had to testify. You weren't breaking your contract and the law supersedes the contract. Fair enough. There you go, Franklin. <laughs> yeah. So another another thing about the um, 
the immunity and amnesty thing we were talking about the the fifth amendment earlier and uh yeah that's way clearer now about the fifth amendment thing i've heard that in rap tunes loads of times but i never really <laughs> under- I ne- never really understood it but now i get it um but how would it work with say for example eric davis is brought up to to testify in front of one of these uh congressional committees and he gets asked something that might incriminate Admiral Wilson, for example. So he's not mm-hmm. going to be incriminating in himself, but he's going mm-hmm. to. He might have to reveal information that incriminates another person. Can is there a similar thing that can happen there, or how does how does that work? No, you you can't. You can be compelled to testify about something that has nothing to do with you and only incriminate something else. The exceptions would be, well, so in a normal court proceeding, there would be um, certain exceptions like um for example marital privilege you couldn't be forced to testify against your wife um you like i like if i was an attorney representing someone i couldn't be compelled to testify about stuff that they told me that was privileged um i don't think there's actually a lot of case law on whether and how much these sorts of protections apply in the context of congressional hearings but um but the, the short answer is that you can be compelled to testify against someone else. You just can't be compelled to um, incriminate yourself. Frank, Frank's going to get Eric Davis up on that stamp, baby. <laughs> Come here, doctor. Get up in here. <laughs> that's what I want to see. And some good follow-up questions being asked of him as well, definitely. But also, don't want to see anybody unnecessarily incriminated. You know, so <laughs> I, I suppose that's one of those situations where the immunity or amnesty type thing would be quite useful, wouldn't it? Because, you you know, people you know, aren't going to want to incriminate other people. Although I suppose if you get asked a question, it doesn't really matter whether or not you have to answer it honestly, don't you, anyway, even if it is going to incriminate somebody else. so That's right. That's think, basically what she said. Yeah, but in the interests of, in the interests of like, fairness, I suppose, you know, if, if there was some kind of immunity or amnesty thing, that that's a situation where perhaps it might help out. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say? That's who we need. I mean, you you talked about, I mean, Deb, if Deb was here right now, she'd be screaming Hal Putoff uh, and like one, two, Hal Putoff, Eric Davis. I don't, I don't think it matters which one you're going to get great information, but I think you're right on there, Frank. I think these are the types of guys we know that have been read into uh, multiple programs and have information and have been brought into labs and seen things. You know, I love when Eric Davis said he crushed John Greenwald like a bug if he could tell what he what he could talk about without facing prosecution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it would be great to get that guy in in even a little bit in open session and then whatever in closed session. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about this thing about the curtain of secrecy, you know, and if you're interested in this topic, you've never had a look behind that curtain. Most well, most people are interested have never had the chance to, and we're sort of relying on people who have been behind that curtain coming out and, and telling us little bits of, you know, dribs and drabs of information, and hopefully as, as we move along, we might actually see some, some more clear information coming out from behind that curtain. Uh, through these hearings, eh? We shall see how it all goes. But you know, I think we've pretty much covered all the bases there. So um, yeah, well, I think we'll wrap it up. Thank you very awesome. much for 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 joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot. I think I think yeah. my my head's hot and- with all the brain activity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I will just say that like this is an extremely complex topic. Basically, anything that involves um, federal prosecution or um, federal law is going to be insanely complicated i'm sure that there's going to be somebody who finds something that i got wrong or didn't explain in full detail and that's fine um second of all i'm just going to give the standard disclaimer that none of this is legal advice um if if the men in black knock on your door don't call me because i'm not your lawyer um and have a great day <laughs> and, and you know lampy i mean this just just to you know overall broadly on the topic i i I, I speak about things as I see them, not as how I want them to be. And that's very important because a lot of times we speak about the topic of what we want to happen and what we what we hope happens, but I speak about what I think is going to happen. And in or- the standard in order to get a prosecutor, first of all, to, and you know how prosecutors are, Lampy, to put him or herself on the line. To bring a case like this, I mean, you better be 
somebody that is that uh, was on the top of their donor list to get them uh, elected county or mm-hmm. state or federal prosecutor, mm-hmm. you know, if they were if they were in some sort of a runoff and you contributed or you know them, because to mm-hmm. get them to bring a case, a UFO case, and especially unless you have a, a strong plaintiff that happens to be that first person, you know, that wants, that wants to uh, be the arm of, of your, or uh, the focus of the prosecution, you're going to, I mean, that's going to be a very, very tough standard to, to get to mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, yeah. um, well, right. there we go. I think, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Well, thanks very much again for to uh, both of you guys for uh, joining me. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, DJ, as well, we do these these little roundtables now as well. And uh, be great to have either of you come on on one of those roundtables at some point. I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll be speaking again in the future. So um, yeah, thanks very much. And Thank we'll you, leave brother. It there. One love. Thank you. Bye. UFO Thinker Podcast.